Welcome back into Tapped Out, UFC 269 on tap for tonight. Nobody better to talk about it than James Lynch. You can follow him at Lynch on Sports. And I think the question is, let's start at the very top of the card, the main event for the lightweight title. Charles Oliveira going to come into this thing as an underdog against Dustin Poirier. How do the odds makers even decide in a fight like this who should be favored? You'd have to ask them, but I would assume it's the wins over Conor McGregor that really gave Dustin Poirier that push and the fact that Oliveira had a pretty tough fight against Michael Chandler. He was uh, in, in a lot of danger in that first round. I think some people felt like Chandler was close to finishing that fight. So that's just my guess. Plus the fact that you've got a guy in Poirier who speaks English. He's you know very marketable. Poor, uh, Oliveira, not so much. Um, so I think that also played a role into why the odds were done. But I think the biggest thing is the Conor McGregor fights. Like you beat Conor McGregor, you're like, you know, you, you have like the, the cheat code for the rest of your life when it comes to your fighting career, right? Like we saw what it's done for Nate Diaz. I think that's a big thing with Poirier going into this fight as to why he is the, the betting favorite here as well. And you could also argue that Poirier has fought better opposition throughout his career too. So I sort of understand the thinking there uh, in terms of why Poirier is the favorite. BT, you just don't usually see the champion come in as an underdog. It's just a rare thing, especially with yeah. another title, title defense. I do agree with James. I think that, you know, Dustin in that division's probably got a resume that's tough to stack up against anybody. Like, I mean, the guys fought everybody there is to fight. Uh, for this, James, though, this is – it's such an opposite lead-up. You know, this is such a mixed martial arts purist dream matchup. It's so different for Dustin than what he was last used to where it was all this emotion and trash talk. And I think that's what makes this thing so fascinating. These guys are so good at everything. Is there is there an area that fascinates you the most in this matchup as to where – one guy can get to their particular strength that gives them the advantage over the other. I'm curious to see how far this fight goes because, you know, one of the questions that people had is the cardio of Charles Oliveira. And I don't think that's going to be a factor. I think uh, Charles Oliveira has really evolved his game. And the thing I like about this matchup too, is you have two guys that have faced adversity in their career. You know, Poirier lost to Habib. Oliveira was, you know, mixing between 45 and 55, could never get his footing right. And now he's just gone on this incredible run. And I think the Chandler fight answered a lot of questions because, you know, people were saying he doesn't have a good chin. Well, he took a Michael Chandler shot and was able to persevere. I mean, Dan Hooker couldn't live to tell that story. Um, you also have the fact that Oliveira's got a really good ground game. But the thing is, we don't see it that often because his striking has evolved so much. So that's, to me, if I had to pick one thing, I think it's going to be interesting if it does get into the later rounds, who's really going to dig deep and get it done? You know, a lot of people would favor Poirier in that regard. But I think Oliveira, I think there's stuff that he's doing right now that we haven't even seen yet of what he's capable of doing in the cage. And I think Poirier is going to bring bring it the best out to him. And we should mention as well, I mean, the odds on this are close, right? Like I know Poirier's the favorite, but it's, you know, it's sort of the, how you're looking at the odds now, it's about a 50-50 fight that's how it should be i think we're going to get a lot of questions answered from this fight between both fighters and and their legacy in the sport well the show is called tapped out so i'm not even going to ask you who you're going to take i'm going to ask you how you're going to take it because both these guys obviously have knockout power both these guys especially do bronx can get you on the ground and do a lot of damage but look for you can squeeze the life out of your neck too do you mm -hmm. think it ends let's assume that it ends before the five rounds do you see it ending with somebody tapping or do you think somebody gets knocked out in this fight that's the big question. I, I think if I had to put my money on it, I would say uh, it's likely I think that Charles Oliveira could pull off the submission win late in the fight. I think his ground game, again, he never uses it. And not that Poirier is bad on the ground. He's actually very good. But I think Oliveira has that in his back pocket. Like he's elite when it comes to the ground game. Poirier, I'd say, is the better striker. We know that from seeing what he did to Conor McGregor. But Oliveira can take a shot. Like if Poirier can't put him out, I am very curious as it goes into the later rounds how that could favor Oliveira. But um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, kind of thinking about it a little bit more, though, 
I, I think you could also see a scenario where Oliveira takes the decision too. Um, Poirier is very tough to finish. There was this sort of line of thinking early in his career that he had a bad chin. Remember, McGregor knocked him out. Michael Johnson knocked him out, which I think yeah. we all forget about that fight. That's that a long Poirier, time ago. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's a different Dustin Poirier. Absolutely. And, and that's that's what I was just going to get to my next point is that I think Poirier's proven that, you know, he doesn't have a bad chin. I think that, that line of thinking has sort of been out the window now. So with that said, that's why I think that Oliveira, I mean, he might not get the finish here. It could go to the decision. Remember Dan Hooker gave him a pretty tough test, Poirier that is, when it went to the judges scorecard. So I could see a similar thing happening here with Oliveira, but you're getting the, you're getting the champ at plus money. I'm, I'm all over that. I, I love Oliveira in this fight. If we uh, switch to the co-main event, you got the GOAT. It's always a privilege to watch Amanda Nunes fight. You know, and it's, it's very rare in sports. You have an undebatable uh, status of somebody, but do, is there anything with this with Juliana Pena that gives you, you know, any way that you think she can win? Anything with Amanda that worries you? The COVID, you know, going back down to bantamweight. Is there anything there's an as an opening for Juliana to maybe pull off the upset here? To me, they're all ex external things. You know, the fact that Nunez has become a parent, maybe that's affecting her sleep. She got COVID. Maybe that's going to affect her in the fight. I don't know. But that's pretty much it. Like this, this is, if this was any other division, Juliana Pena would not be getting a title shot. Two fights ago, she was finished by Jer Jermaine Durandamy, a uh, same fighter who Amanda Nunez has already defeated twice. So that's where I kind of look at this fight and say, like, you know, it's kind of just due to lack of contenders. And credit to Julia, Juliana. She talked herself into this, uh, into this fight. She did the media tour. She was talking smack. She got the fight. But Amanda Nunes is just such a level above that I would be surprised if this even goes three rounds. I think Nunes is finishing her within two. She's so good. She's good everywhere. Like you could even argue maybe Juliana's got good, a good ground game, but Nunes is good on the ground too. Like I just don't see a path to victory here for Pena. And I know some people are looking at the odds and saying, well, that's pretty good value. It, I don't think there is any value. I think Nunes is so good that if there is any value, it's Nunes uh, in, in like round one or round two props. I think that's the way you go with this one or just take Nunes inside the distance and parlay that with something else on the card. But that's the way I would look at this fight it feels like guys we've seen this story before like you said whether it was gdr whether it was megan anderson whether it was felicia spencer it was just you know you throw the mouse to the snake and then the snake takes care of it it's just how long does it take but at some point that thing is going to be digested we're talking with james lynch here at lynch on sports brendan tobin down in miami sean levine here in kansas city fight night ufc 269 right around the corner so with amanda if we don't think she's going down tonight who possibly could beat Amanda Nunez. I agree with Brendan. Like, at this point, you call her the GOAT, and nobody in this room is going to question that statement. Is there anybody on the horizon? Is there anybody right now that can even give that girl a fight? Not a bantamweight right now. I think there's two fighters who have the potential to maybe do to maybe get a win over Amanda Nunes, and I use maybe very loosely here. The first is Valentina Shoshanko. If she decides sure. to move back up, I thought that second fight, I thought she won. I think a lot of other people felt that way too. It was a very close decision uh, on that card. So if Shevchenko, because she's been dominant too in her weight class, she needs a test, right? So it would be, but it sounds like Dana White's not interested in doing that. I don't know why. I'd love to see that fight. The other name is Kayla Harrison. Now they train together. Uh, there's obviously some complications there. And Kayla has not fought anywhere close to the competition that Nunez has fought in her career. Let's be clear about that. However, Kayla is a super athlete. Like we've seen that she's not only beating these opponents, she's destroying them. So just that and that's just a guess like maybe she could go out there and do something I don't know I mean you hear stories about her at the gym and stuff and how great she is but that's it like I don't even think like an Irene Aldana or a Ketlin Vieira who just beat Misha Tate recently like none of them have done anything in any of their fights that really make me think like okay this is the one that could do something to Nunez we just haven't seen that type of performance so um yeah I think those are the only two uh, also, James, on this card, Cody Garbrandt's going to be making his flyweight debut against Kai Carr France. What do you think for Cody? He's talked about making this move before. 
It's always kind of the new car smell on a guy. He was once a champion, thought of maybe as one of the future faces of the UFC. Obviously, uh, you know, has kind of gone up and down since then. Do you think that this could be a new life for him or is he biting off more than he can chew? I'm really interested in this fight. And I'm also interested in the fact that Cody's the favorite because Kai Kara France has been a mainstay at 125. We know he's got knockout power. We know Cody's been knocked out a number of times. He was knocked out three fights in a row, two twice to Dillashaw. And say what you want about what Dillashaw was losing or using, I should say, because uh, either way he was knocked out in those fights. And then Pedro Munoz knocked him out, which now looking back, that was kind of a bad loss for him because Munoz is not exactly a guy who's finishing fights early, right? So um, to me, I, I think I'm, I'm of the belief that the Cody Garbrandt we saw beat Darmanit Cruz all that many years ago, uh, when he won the title uh, over Cruz, I think that Cody Garbrandt's gone. I think his his health has deteriorated. He's taken a lot of damage. And I think uh, Kai Kara France as an underdog is an absolutely great play there. Um, we saw what he did in his last fight. And, and I just feel like usually when fighters are moving down a little bit later in their career, they tend not to do too well. There's a few exceptions, like Jose Aldo, like we saw last weekend. But in general, it doesn't bode well. Now, I know Cody doesn't cut a ton of weight, but what's the problem here? The problem is, is that he gets knocked out. You're more susceptible to a knocked out if you're cutting more weight. So I think he's got a really... Now, if Cody gets past this, maybe that's a different story, but I think this is just such a risky fight for him to have at flyweight in his debut. You're right, though. Like, I think a lot of people thought Rob Font was going to dust Aldo last Saturday night, and that we all know what happened. That absolutely was not the case. We also know that when Cody needs to win a fight, or he's real jacked up to win a fight, a la those couple of times versus Dillashaw, it didn't end very well for him. Doesn't this kind of feel like a fight that Cody kind of needs to win? Oh, yeah. Oh, big time. And and let's let, let's look at his last win, right? It was against the Sun Sao, and that was a highlight reel finish. I remember everyone saying, Cody's back. And I remember saying, look who he just fought. A Sun Sao hasn't been the same since he got knocked out by Marlon Marais. Like, he's he's a guy that just has not been able to find his footing over the last couple of fights. I feel like that was almost gave us some false hope. Uh, it reminds me a bit of when Ronda Rousey knocked out Betch Cahaya, and I'll get, get to my analogy here in a second here, is that Ronda fell in love with her stand-up, and everyone thought she was a great striker. And then when she fought two good strikers and Nunez and Holm, it didn't go so well. So, so I, I, I kind of look at the same thing here where people think the old Cody was back because of what he did in that fight against the Sun Sao. I think that speaks more to a Sun Sao's downfall than Cody getting that win. And I think with a guy like Kara France, who, you know, comes from city kickboxing, which is Israel Adesanya's gym. I mean, the striking is going to be on point. And uh, if he makes one mistake, he could, he could go uh, to sleep like he has in a couple other fights. That was a sick-ass knockout, though, Brendan. You got to admit, like, Cody's the oh, yeah. knockout. Oh, yeah. It was great. I'm not, no, I'm not taking anything away from that. That was a, that was a great highlight, for sure. Uh, we mentioned him in the last set, but uh, probably the biggest beef this week has been Dominic Cruz versus Daniel Cormier. Uh, where have you stood between the, the broadcaster beef this week with uh, Cruz calling out Cormier's uh, dedication to the job and, and his style of broadcasting? I love it. I think it's great. How 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 few times in in this space in media in general do you see people be their authentic selves and tell the truth? Cruz feels that way. Let's hear him actually say it. He did it. I give him credit. And look, he's friends with DC. So you know it's not a place of, of malice or, or him coming in and you know having a, a personal issue with, with DC. He's telling it like it is. I wish more people would do that. I want to hear the truth here. If he really feels that way, he should tell us. He could have just said, Oh, you know, I think DC does a great job. Well, he's not telling the truth now, is he? Now, could he be been a little bit nicer about it sure but i mean if he feels that dc's not doing his research then all the power to him i personally am not a huge dc fan on the commentary thing i think he gets a little bit too relaxed sometimes when it comes to talking about the fights and i want a little bit more analysis and it's it's also just a class of styles i think too because cruz is more technical and more you know really finds those fine details and, and cormier does give some good tidbits but i feel like there's times when he starts to joke around and that's where i'm kind of like come on man just focus on the fight so um i had no issue with it 
I think they're both right. Like, I think that what Dominic Cruz said, there's a little bit of, you know, truth to it. Like, if you, there's a lot of times the DC will mispronounce names or forget somebody's name. And it's like, dude, if you just would have wrote it down in front of you, you could, you could, you know, and then he admitted, if, if you watched the entire video, that he used to have somebody do his research for him. So what Dominic Cruz was saying, there is a little bit of, uh, of truth to it, but Either way, I think that they're both great at what they do when it comes down to it. I'm going to watch a fight if either one of them are talking about it. Speaking of a fight, we got to talk about Sugar Sean. As the Sugar Show moves on, the unranked champion finally takes on kind of a ranked fighter, number 15, sort of, in Piva. What do you think the chances are that we see another fight of the night type performance from the Sugar Show on Saturday night? I think it's very good. The UFC smart with Sean O'Malley. He's one of the few commodities they have in, in the promotion, right? O'Malley's got a huge following, a following too that a lot of other fighters don't have. He caters to a lot of younger, uh, you know, fight fans. And that's something that they've really struggled with. And even boxing struggled with as well. There's very few people that have, you know, other than Jake Paul and Ryan Garcia, you're not seeing a lot of that younger audience come out to watch the fights. But Sean has done a great job at that. So kind of what I'm getting at it here is the UFC's not dumb. They're trying to build up O'Malley as much as they can get him as many highlight reel finishes as they can. And I think this fight kind of makes sense. You mentioned it there. Piva, I think, was in the rankings. Now he's out. But he can always say that he beat a ranked guy if he gets the win here. The other thing about Piva used to be at flyweight. O'Malley's one of the biggest bantamweights. You look at his size and reach and everything. This just screams to me another either highlight reel finish or just a great win here for O'Malley. And he's, again, going to position himself even better here in the weight class. I'll tell you guys something. If Dominic Cruz beats Pedro Munoz this Saturday, don't be surprised if you see O'Malley try and call out Cruz because I, I think that's a fight he believes he can win. And that's a, a notable name on his resume that I think O'Malley could beat at this stage of his career. It's an interesting thing to seeing a guy like him take more control like a boxer getting moved along because so many of these guys are thrown to the wolves. See a guy like Kevin Lee, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago getting released and he was just, he was, he was the it thing. And then they, they throw him into the blender and then it's just kind of over. So mm -hmm. do you like this approach from young fighters? The idea that maybe they're, they're guiding themselves just at a, a little bit more, not that, not that they're avoiding people, but just a more sane pace than just going right in and taking top five guys, especially when they're, when their contracts are brand new. Yeah, I, I think there's a fun feel James a little bit just a, oh, it's, it's yep. a little extra slow. What Brendan was saying, like, it's one thing to let a guy come along at a pace, but we've now known about Sean O'Malley for a few years. Like, when is this guy going to either be ranked himself or constantly fight rank fights? Isn't it time? Well, they got kind of scared, I think, with the Chito Vera thing, right? And, you know, people will say, and O'Malley himself will be like, oh, yeah, I got an injury. But, I mean, Chito, how do you think that injury happened? Chito was in the cage with them, right? So I, I think that's one thing where, you know, maybe that fight kind of scared them off. But I think there's a fine balance. You know, you don't want like a Michael Venom page like we've seen in Bellator where it's like, when is this guy going to get a step up? And then when he did get a step up, he, he got he got finished, right? So I think with O'Malley, um, same sort of deal. Like, this is a good step in the right direction. It's not an unranked opponent. But, you know, he's talking about fighting Adrian Yanez. I don't think that fight happened because I don't think there's any motivation for O'Malley to take that. I think he's just saying it to put his name in the news and everyone writes about it. But I think O'Malley's got his sight sets on like aging veterans, like a Frankie Edgar or like a Dominic Cruz after this because he's smart, right? He knows if he fights someone that's notable and someone that's on the decline, it's going to look better. And he can just argue, well, I lost to a former UFC champion or I beat a former UFC champion, right? So that's what I think is, I, I have no insight, by the way. This is just my own theory. Like, I don't know what's going on in O'Malley's camp, but I would think that's how he's looking from a business perspective. Build your resume up and, and, you know, there's no rush to get here because he's still a young guy. It's not like he's in his 30s. He can take his time and get up there. But my preference would be a fine balance. Like, okay, you go up there and finish Piva in the first round. 
maybe we got to give you a you know a tougher test after this. James Lynch at Lynch on Sports. Looking forward to the card tonight. I think there's all kinds of fights you could end up fighting tonight. Which one have you got your eye on? Which one are you looking forward to the most? So many good fights on this card. I'll tell you one that's not getting enough love, and that's this Josh Emmett and Dan DG fight on the Josh prelims. This has, got, yeah. this has got fight of the night written all over it. Uh, Josh Emmett, to me, has been one of the dark horses at 145. It's just injuries and, 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 and a bunch of a variety of things have sort of slowed him down, but mainly injuries. We haven't seen him in a while. Ige's coming off that loss to Korean Zombie. I think this, the, the book on Ige right now is that, you know, he can't get over the hump to get to become that contender. Well, you beat a guy in Josh Emmett, that's certainly going to put you back in the driver's seat. And for Josh Emmett, um, he's, like I said, I've said he's a dark horse. He's got to go out there and prove it. I think he has a way to win against Dan Ige. He's not going to finish Dan Ige. Ige, Ige is pretty damn tough, but um, I think this is going to be a good test of where Emmett is in his career because Emmett's very well-rounded. It just has that age caught up to him. He's 36 now and the injuries, you got to wonder uh, what type of Josh Emmett we're going to see on Saturday, but fight of the night for sure. Absolutely. I agree with that. Great stuff, James. As always, we'll catch up with you soon. That's James Lynch. You can follow him at Lynch on Sports. I wonder if this fight is going to end up going the distance tonight in the championship, Oliveira versus Poirier. Well, coming up next, we'll talk about it. It's underhooks or overhooks right here on Tapped Out on the BetQL Network.